listening to The Fret Files, the Guitar Workshop Podcast with Eric Daw. To participate in the show, go to my website, ericdaw.com. That's E-R-I-C-D-A-W dot com. Click on the contact link and submit your question or comment there. I'll use it as part of the show. The other way to do it is to call or text 757-774-8482. Leave your voicemail there and I'll use that as part of the show. And now, the Fret Files Podcast. Welcome to the show. This is the Fret Files Podcast. My name is Eric Daw, your guitar scientist with over 20 years of experience building and repairing guitars. This is a podcast about just that. Guitar repair, guitar building, guitar news, guitar science, and guitar opinions. Sitting beside me is my lovely wife and co-host, Melissa. This is a question and answer episode where we will respond to listener submitted emails. I will read the questions and Eric is going to try to answer them. I'm going to try. We have a lot of really good questions. We have, I think, two or three calls. Uh, I don't know what they're about yet. I guess we'll find out. We have questions about Harmony rockets that are humming badly. Questions about parallel versus series when it comes to pickups. Mm-hmm. Uh, questions about finishes, questions about jazz masters, all kinds of good stuff. Yeah, questions about neck resets. Cool. Absolutely. Hey, what's on your bench? So many things. I'm, you know, I'm right in the middle of doing all these restorations on a whole bunch of vintage guitars. I have a vintage Gibson Les Paul Jr. from the '50s that I'm restoring for a customer. A uh, a vintage bass, a Fender bass, 60s Fender bass that I'm refinishing. I have, uh, yeah, that, I, there must be, <clears throat> I think there's six or eight guitars right now that I'm doing a, Wow. The restorations on here. That's pretty nuts. Yeah, and the, uh, the 50 Fender Esquire is coming along nicely. I've got the body stripped and pore filled and sanded and prepped for paint. I have the neck all straightened out and cracks fixed and uh, fretted. Cool. And uh, I've got about half of the parts treated. I've been soaking them in a rust remover treatment to get the rust off of all of the uh, all of the rusted parts because it's pretty bad. Uh, are you going to be able to salvage the tuners? Oh yeah, absolutely. Oh yeah, good. Yeah. good. yeah, the tuners are fine. They're just rusty, but I'll soak them in this. I've got this. It's so this product called Evapo Rust, and it's actually really safe on anything except rust. I mean, it's fine on plastic and anything, any other parts. There's there's no plastic in those tuners, but um, yeah, it'll be it'll be perfectly safe for those tuners. Cool. Yeah. Absolutely. Nice. I don't think I'm going to be able to reuse the original nut, which is a little bit of a shame. But um, it's uh, it's amazing how that <laughs> it's amazing how much that neck has shrunk. Uh, it's actually the nut is actually the nut and the frets were sticking out of the side pretty bad. Wow! Because uh, that neck has shrunk so bad. So even if I used the nut, you know, it's not. Um, it's not the right size anymore. It actually overhangs a little bit. Wow. And since I've refretted the guitar, then the slots aren't cut at the right depth anymore because the the frets are taller than huh. than, than the worn out frets were. Right. So it's going to need a new nut, unfortunately. I, but that's just, you know, we I have to make it playable. Right. Well, and you include the nut with the guitar, you know, oh, of course. separate them. Yeah, and... oh, of course. I saved the frets. Uh, which were just beat. I, you know, it would have been cool, but the frets were worn out. I mean, that guitar, you saw it. it oh, yeah. That, that... It, was a, it was a basket case for sure. Yeah. Well, it's not a basket case. It's ju- It was just, 
absolutely neglected for 50 years. It yeah. sat in a barn for 50 years. And, um, yeah, not just neglected, but abused. Not, well, not actively abused. Yeah, it but, just, just the weather just got to it, yeah. you know, between heat and cold and humidity and dry, uh, just the seasons, you know, just took it out of that thing. It's just amazing. It, Do you, it, Sorry, do you know, was it in a case in the barn or was no. it, it was just sitting, yeah. in, so it, a 50 Esquire mm-hmm. was sitting in the corner of a barn in Texas. That's correct. That still blows my mind. I know. Isn't that wild? Can I buy that house? Can I buy that house with that <laughs> barn on it? <laughs> well, I told the guy who found it, I said, well, keep looking around that barn. Yeah. <laughs> Gee whiz. If you find any 59 bursts, you let us know, man. I mean, that guitar had a case originally. Yeah. Anyhow, there's a lot of things on my bench. You know, that and all the uh, standard fare in and out guitars that, you know, a lot of them local and a lot of them shipped in that are just uh, doing, you know, pickup rewinds and pickup swaps and setups and fret levels. And it's just a never-ending parade of guitar problems around here. Yeah. I like it. Cool. What's on your bench? What are you working on? Me? Uh, I just finished up two guitar straps for a guy who I think listens to the show. Oh, cool. Hi, Evan. Thanks for listening and buying stuff from us. That's great. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they turned out really nice. And Oh, yeah. Those someday, were the softer leather ones? Yeah, the ones? soft. Uh, it's, yeah, a real soft leather. Mm-hmm. And... I decided I do own a bass and I know how to play a handful of songs despite popular belief. I do. Yeah. I mean, I don't play, but I I can yeah. a little bit. No, you play. You're, yeah. You're, yeah. Uh, so someday I'll make myself a strap and it'll probably be just like Evan's straps because I cool. really liked how they turned out. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Excellent. Shall we take some calls? Yeah, let's do it. Okie dokie. Let's see what happens here when I push this button. Ring, ring. Hi, this is Ty in Vermont. I've got a 1945 Martin 018, and uh, on the treble strings, the saddle seems to have sort of sloped down. It's all original, but there's much less clearance, and I can get a little bit of buzz, um, you know, at times depending on the weather, on the uh, on the uh, E and B strings. Uh, someone said that suggested that rather than replacing that original saddle. Um, I might be able to just make do with slightly heavier gauge strings uh, on the B and the E string. Uh, any thoughts? And, you know, is this something to just replace the saddle or uh, use a shim or what? Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for calling. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, you've got a setup issue on that guitar, I suppose. 1945 Martin 018, is that what he said? Yep. Uh, that's an awesome guitar, first of all. That's very cool that you have that. Uh, trying to raise the saddle on that is really um, a little bit trickier than just your average, you know, guitar because uh, those old Martins, <clears throat> they have a saddle that, that uh, is usually glued in. Um, I don't know if you, you know, if your saddle's original or not, or if it's, uh, I I think he said it was original, didn't he? Yeah, I think so. I don't know. Yeah. But a lot of those have a saddle that kind of, it, it, uh, extends to the, to the edges, to the rounded, I don't know how to describe, this is such a visual thing. I think I know what you mean. The bridge is flat on the top, and then it dips down. It's like a little plateau, right? Mm-hmm. Is that what you mean? Yeah, and there's a name for it that I can't... I'm just... I'm blanking on this. <laughs> but uh, anyhow, yeah, it's not a bad idea. You could try a heavier string, but I don't know what... You didn't say what kind of string you're using. So if you're using a standard light set of 12 through 52s or 12 through 53... Um, and you want to try a, a heavier E and B string, a heavier treble string, uh, you could try that. I wouldn't go all the way up to 13s for the whole set, but just the trebles. You could certainly try that. 
But um, my question is, um, how are the frets? Is the neck straight? You know, I mean, there's a whole there's a whole host of things that that can make a guitar buzz. So, um, have you had it looked at by a professional, or or do you have a good enough eye to look at it and say, okay, this isn't just a saddle issue. There, um, there's there's maybe other things going on here. Um, that it it's it's really one of those uh, it depends kind of answers because I don't really know what's going on with your guitar, but it's not a bad thing to try and very easy to do and very cheap experiment to use a heavy heavier E and B string. But if you're already using 13s, I wouldn't use heavier. Hmm. Yeah, 13 is, is as heavy as I would go on that high E. Hmm. Absolutely. Cool. What do you, what do you think there? <laughs> My voice is... <clears throat> I've been sick, and... Okay, I'm not going to complain. Let's take another call. Incoming. Hi, Eric and Melissa. This is Sang from Via Cali Guitars. That's spelled V-I-A-C-A-L-I. Via Cali Guitars in Davis, California. That's how to do it. I mainly sell my guitars through boutique dealers. In the event that someone tries out one of my spec guitars in a showroom walks out without, without buying anything, but later on emails me directly to build a custom guitar, should I offer to pay the dealer some form of referral fee? I truly value my dealers and the exposure that comes along with being displayed in a high-end store, but I also don't want to pay unnecessary commissions. After all, my sales contracts are tied to specific serial numbers. Thanks a lot, and keep up the great podcast. Thanks. Absolutely. Thank you. Thanks for the call. That's a tough, that's a tough one because I deal with the same issue. Um, I, I really only have one dealer that's Emerald city guitars in Seattle. And, uh, they, you know, occasionally someone will, uh, they'll, they'll put in a special order through Emerald city. So sometimes I get special orders for a special custom guitar that has, certain specs, you know, and, uh, they'll order through Emerald city. And sometimes I'll get a customer who tried a guitar at Emerald city, one of my guitars, and then they'll call me later and want to order something. So I take it on a case by case basis. If a huge amount of time has passed, then that's fair game. You know, it, it, Again, it's a case-by-case basis for me. Like, just recently, I had a customer who wanted he wanted to order a custom guitar, but he had been into Emerald City about a half a dozen times talking to the salesman there about, well, what should I get? Well, let me, let me try out your guitar. I'll, I think every employee, almost, almost every employee down there, well, half the employees, own my guitars own some of my guitars. So they're in there going, Hey, let me, let me see yours. Let me, let me uh, check out uh, a few examples. You know, what, what fret size do you have? You know, what, what neck profile should I order? And so then he calls me and says, uh, you know, talk me through all the options. And I did. And he said, do you want me to order through you or, you know, cause I've been dealing with Emerald city and he was just there earlier that day. And I said, well, if, if you've been dealing with the salesman at Emerald City and you were just there earlier that day, put in an order through them. And I lose several hundred dollars that way because I give Emerald City a discount, uh, a wholesale price. Um, you know, but to me, it's worth it to keep their business. I mean, right. I don't want to step on any toes. and Well, uh, and they earned their cut. Right. And they don't begrudge me taking direct orders either. Right, but if if it's just somebody that went in and test test drove a guitar and it just wasn't exactly right for them, but there was no extra work done by the dealer involved, I I don't feel like it's necessary. Even if it was later that day that that guy called you, well, I don't think like that. I don't feel like that's necessary to give the dealer a cut. Well, I, again, I take it on a case by case basis, and maybe our listener here doesn't doesn't do this, but I'll. I'll have customers who will make a custom order 
through one of my dealers. Well, my only dealer. In your case, you have several. So I don't know if you do that or not, but um, if somebody wants something custom with specs that you don't normally send out to your dealers, then that's another consideration. I would say that's fair game too. You know, if they want a, a certain color combination or a fret size and neck profile that you don't normally, you wouldn't normally send out to your dealer, you know, that to me, that's a custom order that should go direct to you. Yeah. So, you know, case by case basis and, uh, maybe bounce it off your dealers. Maybe maybe give them a call and say, hey, I had a customer who, you know, I had a customer who tried out a guitar there, and now here it is a month later, they, they want to custom order one. You know, I just wanted to be above board with this and tell you guys about it. And, you know, my, my sense is, I mean, if you've got a good relationship with your dealers, they're going to say, oh, yeah, no problem, man. <laughs> you know? Yeah, right. I mean... Yeah. Anyway, those are my thoughts. I don't think I had a hard and fast answer for you there, but those are my thoughts. So I hope that helped. Thank you. Hi, guys. This is Ty in Vermont with a question about uh, East Indian Rosewood replacement. Uh, there's a high-end bass manufacturer out of England called Alpha Instruments. We do very um, beautiful, expensive custom work. And they have started using uh, something called Sundari, I think it's called by Roselight or something like that, as a composite wood, a sustainable wood, um, and looking beautiful on their fretboards and maybe even bridges. Uh, have you any experience with this? How would one know whether this would be a good mater material to use in a custom instrument? Thank you. Thanks, Ty. Uh, well, I haven't heard of that particular brand or that particular composite, but uh, I have talked about Rich Light before, which sounds like what you're talking about. I don't know. If, uh, yeah, I'm not a hundred percent sure from from your from your question, but I, in general, I'm not a huge fan of the composite uh, wood. Um sustainable you know sustainable wood substitutes it's like a it's wood fiber and paper and and uh it's it's yeah it's not really wood is what i'm trying to say <laughs> so my problem with that is uh i think they're great for intermediate instruments my personal and this is just me this is just my personal opinion uh they have no place on a high end instrument now your mileage may vary, and I'm sure I, that that opinion ruffles some feathers. If you make really high-end guitars out of composite stuff, then good luck to you, and I wish you the best, you know. But um, that's just my opinion. All righty, shall we read some email? Let's do it. Yeah. Letters. We get letters. We get stacks and stacks of letters. Howdy. I have a Harmony Rocket and it hums pretty loudly. I have a feeling that the tailpiece is not grounded. Is that something that I can easily test? And is that something that I can fix myself? Thanks, Pat. Yes, Pat. Thank you. Uh, I bet you're right. It's pretty common on those harmonies that the tailpiece is not grounded. So I bet you're right. And it is something you can fix yourself if you're slightly handy if you have a soldering iron if you have some wire you know a, a lot of people i get this question a lot is this something i can fix myself well you're a better judge of of your skill than i am uh but if you're reasonably handy i think absolutely you can do it basically you just have to run a wire to the uh you, um to the tailpiece you usually have to you know you remove the tailpiece you drill a small little hole Slip a wire through there, make sure it contacts the tailpiece when you put it back on, and then you have to solder it to a ground somewhere, the jack or one of the back of the pots or, the, you know, a ground. Mm -hmm. And if you want to test it, um, when you've got the guitar on, touch the jack, you know, the ground, 
touch your cable and see if the hum goes away. And the same thing should happen when you touch your tailpiece. If you want to get fancy, if you have a multimeter, if you have an ohm meter, put it, you know, you you can test continuity with an ohm meter, right? Right. There's a setting on there where it will just beep at you if you're making contact. Right. So you can put one probe on the tailpiece and put one probe on you know the the housing of the jack there the nut right just yeah. the jack the exposed part of the jack is ground put one probe on the jack and one probe on the tailpiece and if it beeps you have continuity if it doesn't beep you don't well there you go absolutely thanks pat hi eric and melissa how do i tell if my guitar pickups are wired in parallel or series I can't figure out the wiring on this guitar. It's an old made, made in Japan, no name thing, and I want to know what the wiring is. Thanks, Tom in Delaware. Thanks, Tom. Thanks for submitting a question. Uh, again, a multimeter is your is your friend here. Uh, you can hook one up to uh, to the jack. You know what i I have a you know a lot of us have a bad cable, right? Right. If you have a bad instrument cable. You can fix it, or you can throw it away, or you can cut it in half and trim off the insulation, and now you have a nice test cable. Okay. So what I do a lot of times here, I have a test cable. I'll plug it into the guitar. Now I have a ground and a hot. I can just hook that up to a multimeter and test the guitar. You can test for a variety of things. You can see how hot the pickups are. Um, but in your case, what you can do is you can, here's what you want to do. You want to test each pickup individually and see how hot it is. See what the, see what the reading is in ohms with your multimeter, right? Let's say that they're each 5,000 ohms, 5k ohms. Okay. Just as a guess, and I don't know what they are actually, but let's just say, for the sake of conversation, they're 5K ohms each. Okay. Now turn both pickups on. If it's wired in series, the output will double. You'll have 10K ohms reading. If they're wired parallel, the reading will go down, something like, you know, between 2 and 3. Hmm. Yeah, so... Uh, that's an easy way to tell. If it's wired in series, you're going to get double the output. If it's wired in parallel, you're going to get about half the output. So you're saying you have your test instrument cable. You plug mm-hmm. it in. Yep. You plug, just plug it into the jack. Turn up all the knobs. You turn your switch to the first pickup. Yep. You test it. Yep. To so the second pickup, you test it. Mm-hmm. And then to both pickups. Both pickups on, you'll know whether it's parallel or series because series, it'll be twice as the output twice the output parallel it will be half the output i don't know why but that blows my mind that is a really cool answer it's true that's awesome yeah thanks tom (laughs) eric and melissa i hope all is well in idaho falls i'm writing you on tuesday february 2nd oh wow in the year of our lord 2019 uh, and we are experiencing a little taste of the polar vortex in Seattle. They say it's a cold front blowing down from Canada. It's the coldest it's been in Seattle for years. What's it like in Idaho Falls? Uh, it's cold. It's going to last the rest of your life. <laughs> we got like, I don't know, 18 inches of snow. This is a normal winter. It's, it's all pretty. good. I, I've been enjoying because I have a lot of Seattle friends, right? Yeah. On the old social media it's been cracking me up. They're posting pictures of their yard with snow in it. And I'm going, oh, well, now it looks like my yard. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I have one question. How can you identify a nitrocellu- nitrocellulose finish on a guitar? Oh, by the way, did you notice, did you see all the, uh, there's pictures of, of like empty grocery store shelves in Seattle because yeah. of the snow? Yeah. That made me laugh a little bit. Like the bread aisle is just completely emptied out. Like all of a sudden... Snow came, and all of a sudden, nobody's gluten free anymore. It's like just everybody just raid this grocery store. Okay, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, it's okay. I see. Seattle just doesn't have the infrastructure for snow, so we make fun of them for not being able to handle it. But of course, they can't handle it. They don't get snow. 
So just everybody just calm down. Okay? Okay. <laughs> How can you identify a nitrocellulose finish on a guitar? How do you tell it apart from a poly finish? I have three guitars, one Fender and two Gibsons from the early 2000s. All three are black. And I have tried to research this and they might be nitro. They don't smell any different. Is there any way to tell? I might be more inclined to keep these guitars if I know the finish will age nicely like I know Polly never will. Thanks for the great show and lots of love to you two and your boys. P.S. Nice move, Melissa, on the guitar straps to ZZ Top. All right. That's from Zach in Seattle. Thank you, Zach. Yeah, it's true, Melissa. I I got to go. So my friend is a travel agent and uh, through some... Isn't this top secret? Yeah, through some various hookups, she got us some meet and greet passes to ZZ Top in Vegas, and so I gave them some guitar straps, and it was awesome. Yeah, they it liked was them. Flipping awesome. Uh, Zach, <clears throat> as as far as I know, and as far as my research uh, has led me to believe, those Gibson has never used anything other than nitro. Wow. So, I I would betcha that those Gibsons are nitro. The Fender, I don't know, because Fender uses, Fender's used all kinds of things to paint their guitars with. Uh, But if you wanted to test it out, what you want to do is get some lacquer thinner and a Q-tip and find an inconspicuous spot on the guitar. So like take out a pickup and test it in the pickup cavity with some lacquer thinner. Um, Lacquer thinner won't, won't do anything to poly. But it will soften lacquer. Well, it's isn't it obvious though? If you take out a pickup, can't you just look at it and see what it? I mean, like, isn't isn't poly like quarter inch thick? They they can have very different looks, but um, a lot of modern companies are using nitro, and they spray it so thick, and it's modern nitro that has a lot of plasticizers in it, and it can look similar to poly. Hmm. A lot of times they do just have a different look, though. I mean, nitro is unmistakable when you see it. Uh, but sometimes it can look like poly. Okay. Uh, so rub some lacquer thinner on, on there, Zach. Now it'll melt the finish, so you don't want to do it in a, you know, just out there in just the open. pour it right, right? on top. Yeah. Like I say, you know, take off a pickup and do it in the cavity or something like that. Cool. Yeah. Thanks, Zach. Hey, Eric and Melissa. Love, love, love your podcast, which I learned about recently after listening to the Truth About Vintage Amps podcast. Oh, Skip Simmons. (laughs) Oh, Skip. I love your work, find your approach and sensibilities to be spot on, and I'm almost completely caught up. And yes, the episodes with you and Mel are better than the early solo ones. Oh, absolutely. I went back and listened to the first episode that I this was is, on. You're not reading a question any longer. No, you're, sorry. You're having a soliloquy. I, this is a side note. I went back and listened to the first episode that I was on, and it was excruciating. And one of the first episodes you were on? The very first one. Episode seven was the first one that I was on. Yeah. And uh, like I say, the early ones suck. Sorry, everybody. Anyway, back to this Not question. Not that these don't. <laughs> I'm just saying those suck worse. Uh, okay, this is... I'm now in the question mode. I am a big fan of late 50s and early 60s Fender Jazzmasters. I started collecting them, collecting them long before anybody really cared about them. I have a particular Jazzmaster whose neck has just a little too much relief for my taste. The truss rod is maximally tightened with the truss rod truss rod nut about an eighth of an inch into its cavity Mm. when the neck is off it has a slight back bow with this degree of truss rod tension but stringing it up even with 10 gauge strings and i prefer 11s produces the relief such that the action feels just a little high in the middle of the neck i guess i prefer a truly straight neck with low action lowering the bridge produces too much buzzing and even fretting out in the upper frets would adding an additional nut washer as a spacer help regain a little more thread to allow further correction? Am I asking the truss rod to do too much? Other ideas? Is this neck what some referred to as a rubber rubbery neck? Thanks for considering my question, and I look to f- I look forward to more episodes. You guys rock, Frank. Thanks, Frank. Thank you so much. 
I tell you, uh, you might have a rubbery neck. I don't know. Um, but uh, you think that's funny? <clears throat> Melissa's laughing. It's a thing. Uh, what I would do, here's what I would try with that neck. I would clamp it uh, with the truss rod loose. I would clamp it into a more severe back bow. Okay. Um, so you want to like, you know, put a shim around the first fret and put a shim up at the end of the neck, you know, the 21st fret or whatever, Mm -hmm. and then clamp it to a long straight something. You can clamp it to a table. You can clamp it to a, if you have, you know, something fancy like a, uh, like one of those long steel, uh, tubes that stumac cells that you sand frets with or whatever uh so you can i mean but you know you can just clamp this to your kitchen table with two shims on it and then put a clamp in the middle of the neck and put a pretty severe back bow in it then you tighten the truss rod up to that Hmm. and if you can find the right washer it doesn't hurt to have a washer in there if it's if it's really if it's an eighth of an inch recessed into the wood that's not a bad idea um, <clears throat> while you've got that truss rod nut out, put a little bit of oil on the threads, just a little bit. So you've got it clamped with an overbow. Now tighten that truss rod nut up to that overbow and now get it tight and then take the clamp off and see what you've got. If you've got more of a, if you've got more of a backbow now, now we're talking. Now maybe you can put some 11s on there. Or maybe it'll pull straight with tens. Um, I do that a lot with bass guitars. Vintage Fender bass guitars have this problem all the time, and uh, it's never a bad idea to to um, clamp the neck where you want it and then tighten the truss rod up to that. Kind of a cool way to do it. Yeah. With Rickenbackers, you have to do it that way. Anyway, I'm getting way off base here. If that doesn't work, Frank. Uh, my next step would be to heat press that neck and force it with heat and pressure to have some back bow. Now, that's something I wouldn't recommend to the hobbyist. You'd want to leave that to a professional, but that can be done. You can press the neck with a with a neck heating press, and you can probably get it straightened out. It's rare, but I have seen necks that are just so wobbly and and rubbery that uh none of this will work but i've i have to say i don't i've almost never seen it on a fender neck it's usually a mahogany neck and fender necks are maple and Mm. maple's pretty tough man so and unless that's just a super slim neck and it might be i don't know but uh you know this is something that you should be able to fix Absolutely. Thanks, Frank. Comment and a question. I recently went back in your archives and was amused when I heard Melissa's voice as a caller with a question in one of the first episodes. Oh, yeah. I don't remember that. Uh, The early episodes aren't as bad as you say they are, but they really got better when Melissa became an official part of the show. Okay. Thanks. Uh, My question is, you have suggested nut files are a good next step into a guitar repair tools, into guitar repair tools beyond some basic setup tools. I'm interested in trying to make a few nuts as a hobbyist. The Stumac Essential Nut Making Kit appeals to the part of me that loves tools and gadgets, but I suspect it's overkill for an amateur. At the same time, I don't want to get frustrated and fail because I have all the wrong tools. Do you have any advice on what I need to succeed without investing in a whole bunch of stuff that I don't need for my purposes? I'll hang up and listen to your answer off the air. Thanks. That's from Jeff. Thanks, Jeff. I had to I had to type this in while uh, Melissa read the question. Essential nut making tools they have. (laughs) I tried hard not to laugh. It's overkill. Yes, it's overkill. They have a a vice. (laughs) They have a bench vice. (laughs) Well, you need a vice if you're making a nut. (laughs) If you don't have a vice. Oh, this is rich. They have feeler gauges. 
What's a feeler gauge? That's these uh, I want one. units here. Yeah, that's way overkill, my man. Uh, just get some nut files. The, this, uh, there are a few things in this kit that are cool that I definitely recommend. For example, the string spacing rule. That string spacing rule is awesome. I use it every time I make a nut. Every time. Um, Stumax, uh, Stumax nut files are, are good. You know, you can get them at different places, and really it's just... It's just a file. There's nothing super special about it. It's just a file in certain widths, right? Right. So, but <clears throat> I don't. I don't typically use a bench vise or. What are those? What are these? You use a vise when you make a nut, don't you? Sometimes. Oh. Uh, just out of curiosity, what do they want for that essential nut making tool cassette? Uh. 260. Whoa. Yeah, $260. Yeah, and that's what I'm saying. You know, it, just buy some just You know, uh, all parts has all parts has some good uh some good nut files. I'm not going to look them up. You can look them up. But um th- yeah, this the this essential nut making toolkit is actually more for the pro. Okay, that's what I would say. But a pro already has all these tools, so this is kind of an unusual kit. But you know, if you wanna, if you've got the coin and you wanna mess around, knock yourself out. But you can definitely do it for for cheaper than that. Yeah. But would you? You? I mean, those are all usable <laughs> items. That's all I'm saying. I have all these tools. Okay. Yeah. There you go. All right. Should we take a break? Absolutely. Let's take a little break. We'll be right back. Hi, Liz here from Emerald City Guitars, located in the heart of historic Pioneer Square in downtown Seattle, Washington. We are one of the world's premier vintage guitar shops going strong for over 22 years. Specializing in the most rare, the funkiest, and most collectible vintage and pre-owned electric guitars, acoustic guitars, amplifiers, and more. We cater to anyone and everyone from the guy next door to collectors and famous rock stars. Not only do we pay top dollar for used gear, we also offer trade-ins and consignment. We also have in-house repair and offer free appraisals. We have a variety of social media accounts that we post our goods daily. Find us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram at EC Guitars. Subscribe to our YouTube channel and see our daily episodes of the featured guitar pick of the day and reality of Emerald City Guitars shows. Give us a call to chat in person at 206-382-0231 and visit our online store at www.emeraldcityguitars.com. As you may already know, I make custom leather guitar straps. I hand make each strap from start to finish. I start with a hide of some of the finest vegetable tan leather on the market. Each hide is chosen for exceptional quality, color, and grain. If you haven't been to my website lately, you need to check it out. I've got a bunch of new strap designs and colors listed with more on the way. If you don't see the perfect strap, contact me with your custom order idea. Visit malcoleather.com to seek examples of custom orders I've done in the past. If you're a dealer, I offer competitive wholesale pricing. Email malcoleather at gmail.com for details. Find me on Facebook, Instagram, and of course, Etsy. If you're listening to this, you get 15% off when you enter code FRETFILES at checkout at melcoleather.com. That's M-E-L-C-O leather.com. If you're a fan of the show, it has become obvious to you that I repair and restore guitars. I'm not a hobbyist. This is something I do full-time for a living, and I've done it for almost 25 years. If you have a guitar repair that you need help with, consider sending it to me. I get repairs from all over the country. People send me guitars from far and wide, from Hawaii to Alaska to Florida, and I would love to help you with your guitar. 
I know a lot of people live in an area where they don't really have a tech or a repair guy that they can trust or maybe it's a really complicated repair or a really special guitar to you that you don't want to just trust anybody, you can send it to me. I promise you'll be satisfied with the results. I rewind pickups, I restore vintage guitars, I do refrets, broken headstocks, neck resets, you name it, if it's broken on a guitar, I pretty much fix it. So I'd love to help you out. You can go to my website to read more about me and to see a price chart, go to ericdaw.com. That's E-R-I-C-D-A-W.com. And if you need more information, you can contact me through that website by clicking the contact link and send me a message there and I'll get back to you. Um, so thank you for listening and now back to the show. Hi, Eric and Melissa. I recently bought a Hofner with a zero fret and I've been thinking about swapping it for a bone nut. Should this be as simple as pulling the zero fret and cutting the nut in at the fret slot or is there a bit more to take into account to keep it intonated? Thanks, Rylan. Hmm. Thanks, Rylan. This is a little bit tricky Um, because the the nut is going to have to be where the zero fret makes contact. And so to do this, you're going to have to cut the end of the fingerboard off, and then you're going to end up with a huge nut. It's going to be like a half an inch wide because you already have a nut, and then there's some fingerboard and then a zero fret. So you're either going to have... How are you planning on doing this? You're either going to have... So if you take off the existing nut, are you just going to cut a narrow slot and put like a fender style nut there? Well, I thought a zero nut was a instead zero fret. or a zero fret was instead of the nut. Yeah, it's in addition to a nut. So a zero fret, you still have a nut, but the nut is just keeping the strings in place. It's not setting the depth. Oh, so it's just a the, guide. The strings are resting, literally resting on the zero fret. Oh, but there, there's still a nut there, which is. It's just a guide. It's keeping the strings in their proper place. Huh. I'm not sure how you're going to do this and make it look like it's not weird. That's what I'm saying. Because you're either going to have two nuts or one huge nut or one fender-style nut and then a big gap where there used to be a nut. Right. I don't... In my mind, I'm I'm thinking about it. There's not a clean solution to this. I would leave it alone. That's yeah. my, that's where I'm at with it. Thanks, Rylan. Hey, Eric and Mel. Thanks for taking my question. I was hoping you might take a couple of minutes to talk about neck resets. Everyone knows how to steam, pull the fret, uh, drill, steam, and remove the neck. But I would like to hear your process of calculating the correct amount of material to be removed and how do you go about removing it? Also, how do you make sure the heel of the neck cleanly joins the body when reinstalling the neck? When are shims required and why? Thanks for all your help, Jeff. It's funny to me that he says that everybody knows how to steam pull the fret drill and steam the neck. Everybody knows that, Everybody knows that. Come on. Absolutely. Uh, Thank you, Jeff. So neck resets are kind of complicated. Um... Uh, how he wants to know, how do I, how, what's your process of calculating the correct amount of material to be, to be removed? Um, so the geometry of it is, uh, you've got a flat top of a guitar, which is not flat, but you know, you've got the top of your guitar and you've got your bridge and the bridge thickness is usually between like five sixteenths and, and three eighths, right? So you want your neck <clears throat> to be a straight line that joins the body, and then if you sight the, the neck from the headstock angle, your neck should be a straight line that's aiming for the top of the bridge, so about three-eighths above the top. So there's a v- very thin, long triangle here, right? With one point uh, being the... Uh, at the nut, right? Okay. And then the other two points being basically the bridge of the guitar. So uh, you've got 
some geometry here. And that's why guitars need neck resets, because <clears throat> the whole thing distorts over time mm -hmm. under string tension. The neck creeps forward. The body distorts. And now the geometry's off. So when you sight the neck, before you take the neck off, you can see where the neck is aiming, right? You'll look and see it. You've got a straight line, hopefully. Your neck is a straight line. And you can even put a, like a long straight edge and find out, okay, where's this neck aiming? You want it to aim at the top of the bridge, where the saddle meets the bridge. Okay? Mm -hmm. Okay. You don't want it to meet, you don't want it to be aiming where the top meets the bridge. You want it to aim up where the, the bridge and the saddle meet. Okay. Right? So that's your geometry. Now, <clears throat> there are mathematical calculations that you could make if you really want to get all Euclid on this <laughs> uh, to remove... Oh, you're basically going to remove a wedge now from your heel so that the whole neck kicks back to correct the geometry of the neck angle. You're going to have to remove that wood just a tiny little bit at a time, okay? So what I do, and I think what 99% of luthiers do, is <clears throat> you... Start removing uh, your wedge of wood uh, with sandpaper. And Go that's, uh, sorry, that's on the bottom of the dovetail, right? The part of the, the, part of the neck that meets, this is such a visual thing. Oh, it's no, so sorry. hard to explain. So, so the dovetail is inside the guitar. Right. I'm talking about where if you look at the side of a guitar, mm -hmm. the side meets the neck. Right? Okay, yep. So like that little heel. Yeah. Okay. You're, you're removing wood from the heel. Oh, okay. That's a neck reset. I didn't realize that. Yeah, and so you need to basically remove a wedge of wood to kick that whole thing back and then shim the dovetail so that there's no air, air gaps in there. Mm -hmm. It's complicated. I, it's not something that I really... It's not something that I really want to get super deep into on the show because a i don't really it's not for amateurs to who are going to listen to a podcast and then go try a neck reset <clears throat> and b it's kind of it's kind of tedious and boring to talk about but uh what i do is i'll take the neck once i've got it off and i'll take a chisel <clears throat> and i'll start removing wood uh i'll start at just inside the edge of the uh, heel mm -hmm. and shave wood off towards the dovetail so that only so if you were to put the neck back on there's just a ridge of wood that's meeting this the, the guitar and that's the original neck profile that's the original neck profile okay. and so then that way <clears throat> that way I'm not removing when I go to sand uh, I'm only dealing with that one ridge that I've left by removing the rest with a chisel. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so you you just test it. So you sand and then you test it to see if you've taken enough off? Sand and test, sand and test, sand and test. Takes hours. Hmm. Sand it, put it back on, look at it, test it. It takes hours. Once you start getting close, now you'll put the neck on and you can put you can put sandpaper. What I usually do is I cut a piece of sandpaper that has a V cut out of it. Mm -hmm. I put the sandpaper over the uh, the neck block, put the neck on, and then pull the sandpaper out. And that'll show you where it needs to... No, it'll remove the high spots. Oh. what? That's when you're really close. Right, that's I when... See. okay. Well, and you do that... You do that a whole bunch of times. Wow. Yeah, I'm telling you, it's it's high detail, super time consuming. There's a reason. There's a reason why guys charge three, four, five hundred dollars to do this because yeah. it takes a long time. It's tedious. 
th- this begs another question. You, uh, at what point do you decide that uh, a guitar needs a neck reset? Where is where is that neck pointing when you say, okay, this actually does, as opposed to the day before when it didn't, you know? Is it when it's no longer pointing at the bridge at all? No. Um, you'll know because the, the, you've got a low saddle, but the action's still high. Mm. So it's just about playability. Oops, sorry. Well, it is, but it's also about geometry and looking at the looking at the neck. Like if I look down the neck of a guitar, and it's straight, but it's aiming to the bottom of the bridge, it needs a neck reset. Hmm. If it's aiming at the top of the bridge, then it doesn't need a neck reset. The geometry is good. If the bridge is the right height, right. The problem is. A lot of guitars over the years that have had action problems and neck angle problems, somebody's gone in there with a belt sander and thinned down the bridge. Mm. So you gotta, you have to measure your bridge and make sure that it's the right height. You don't want to reset it to a, to a thinned down bridge. Well, I know it's it's complicated. Anyway, that was me talking about neck resets. I hope you liked it, Jeff. I don't. <laughs> I, don't, I could talk and talk and talk about it because there's really a lot going on with them. But um, Stu Mac sells a great DVD about neck resets. I hear. I've never seen it. I'd love to see it, but maybe one of these days. Yeah, well, well, that'll be our nighttime <clears throat> watching one of these nights, huh? You should buy that DVD, Jeff, and then submit a review to the podcast. Yeah. Thanks, Jeff. Hello, Eric and Melissa from Nashville. I am a relatively new listener, and I'm already amazed that a husband and wife can have so much common ground on guitars. Years ago, I hypnotized Melissa uh, so that she would do anything I say and yeah. so that she would um, talk about guitars and things like that. So so what's the? there's always like a code to snap me out of it. What's the, what's the password? What's the... I'm not going to say the password. The show will be over. <laughs> Uh, he says, in 12 years, my wife and I have spent less time talking guitars than you two do in a single episode. What's the secret? Well, here's the reality. Melissa grew up with guitars. Her, her dad is an accomplished guitar player and he's, you know, she's always, she's been around music and guitars her whole life. Yeah. And I also am, I, I like learning about stuff and I'm always curious about the technical aspects of stuff. So Eric will tell me about capacitors and it's it's fascinating to me yeah uh, so there you go yeah this is the first of a few questions about my gretsch 6120 it's a 2003 with the tone switch circuit eric i saw your recent instagram shot of the tone caps on that vintage gretsch and it got me thinking i never move the tone switch out of the bypass position are there any worthwhile mods to explore regarding capacitor <clears throat> values many thanks wit Right on. Thank you, Wit. Uh, yes. Yeah. Now, I, I hear you, and most players do the same thing. That tone switch is kind of a bizarre deal because, you know, with a tone knob, you can dial the tone back a little bit. With with a tone switch, it's all or nothing. So you can either get a muddy sound or a clear sound, and most players would prefer a clear sound. So... Uh, yeah, I hear you. You can, uh, you know, if, if, if it were me, I would probably, um, replace one of the capacitors with a, uh, with a very low, um, <clears throat> value capacitor, like a, uh, a 0 0.01, 0 0.01 capacitor, because that doesn't remove so much high end. Uh, it gets kind of a cool tone. It's actually a, a usable tone. I don't know what's in there now, probably a 0.05 and a 0.02, something like that. So, uh, because there's two sides of the switch, there's two capacitors. So, um, a lot of players uh, have rewired that to be a kill switch. You know, and then you can you can get the machine gun effect when you get feedback and then toggle it on and off. Beep, 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 beep. Right? A lot of players do that. Some Gretches already have a kill switch down on down by the controls, though, so depends on what you want to do. But yeah, uh, I w 
absolutely would uh, consider replacing one of those capacitors with a .01 cap. Cool. Ma- yeah, makes it way more usable. Thanks, Wit. Do two humbucker pickup Telecasters that don't have the ashtray bridge nor barrel saddles sound like a Telecaster? No. I haven't played one. The only thing they have in common with a traditional Telecaster is body shape and I suppose scale and the type of wood. If it does sound like a Tele, what makes it sound that way? Or is it just for someone who likes the Tele style to enjoy humbuckers? I have an HH Stratocaster. I don't pretend it's a traditional. That means, that means hum hum. So ah. he's got a Stratocaster with two humbuckers. I see. Yeah. Uh, I don't pretend it's a traditional single coil strat, but it does have a strat bridge, saddles, and sounds like a strat slash Les Paul hybrid of sorts, which it is. I enjoy the show, Dave. Right on, Dave. I think you figured it out. Yeah. 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 Telly, <clears throat> a telly with humbuckers is a Les Paul. There you go. Or at, at least sonically. Right. You know, that's what it, they sound like to me. Uh, but um, not entirely like a Les Paul, but, you know, maybe 80% of a Les Paul. And it's like your Strat. It's like a Tele Les Paul hybrid of sorts, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. There you go. Thanks, Dave. Bravo, sir. Your description of under-saddle pickups making good acoustics sound like ovations. <laughs> Did I say that? I guess so. My gosh, was, I'm so sorry. He says it was spot on. Yeah, and, well, it is. And hilarious. <clears throat> Prepare yourself. Pick up winding questions pending as soon as I gather my thoughts. Regards, Brett. Well, gather them and send them in. Uh, I'm, my apologies to any ovation lovers out there because... You probably don't like the show. I've, I've certainly picked on them several times. <laughs> oh, dear. Eric and Melissa, thank you both for making one of my favorite podcasts. If you want a guitar with a salad bowl and the, made out of a, like a giant salad bowl, they're perfect. They're great. I had a dream oh, no. that... Uh, you know what the Floby is? Yes. Where you can where you cut your hair with this with uh, a vacuum vacuum attachment thing, right? Yes. I had a dream that there was a guitar. It was an ovation, the giant sound hole, and you you'd put it on your head like a hat, <laughs> and it would cut your hair. It was like a flovation, like a Floby ovation. You're insane. Do you know what that dream means? No. It means that you're insane. <laughs> and I very nearly just swore. <laughs> well. Can I read the question now? Yeah, why don't you start over? Sorry. <clears throat> Eric and Melissa, thank you both for making one of my favorite podcasts. I've been playing guitar for over 30 years and have always been into modding them. But a few years ago, I decided to get more serious about it and learn to do my own fretwork. At this point, I can level and crown decently, and I've done about eight refrets on my own collection of budget guitars. I don't have a question in particular. I just wanted to thank you for the podcast. I've learned a lot, and I continue to learn with each episode. Thank you, Richard. That's from Richard McLemay. McLemail. Thanks, Richard. Eric has thrown his pages across the room. Really nice letter there. Thank you, Richard, and thank you to all of the listeners and the participants in the show. We really do appreciate it. You know, this show is just something we kind of do for fun and to promote our own, you know, greedy capitalist self-interests of of, of uh, repairing guitars and making custom guitar straps. But uh, if you'd like to participate in the show, I really would recommend that you do so. You can go to ericdaw.com, that's E-R-I-C-D-A-W.com, and click the contact link. Submit your question or comment there. We'll use it as part of the show. The other way to do it is to call or text 757-774-8482. You can call or text that number, that's 757-774-8482. Thank you so much. We really appreciate it. We'll see you next time. Good night.